0: Welcome to a special first edition of time to listen the podcast that gives a space and a platform for indigenous Australian voices being international women's day we are going to bring a collection of stories to you stories of indigenous women living studying and working in Cape York and who are choosing to challenge the status quo these women have fought for their own interpretations of success. Their stories demonstrate the unique capabilities of Indigenous women. And this is important, as Indigenous women experience extreme levels of underrepresentation in several sectors. An Indigenous woman was not elected to any Australian parliament until 2001. That was Carol Martin, 80 years after the first Australian woman, Edith Cowan. Three Australian parliaments, including federal parliament, only gained their first elected Indigenous woman in the last 10 years. Only one Indigenous woman, Linda Burney, has been a member of the New South Wales Parliament and two parliaments, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory, have never had an elected Indigenous woman. The situation is more alarming in executive leadership. In 2018, the Australian Human Rights Commission conducted a survey into Australia's top executive positions. Of the 2,490 positions reviewed, Indigenous Australians occupied just 10 of them. None held the role of CEO in any of the 200 Australian Securities Exchange companies, or as a head of a state or federal government department, or as a vice-chancellor of any Australian university. The Cape York Partnership is leading change toward much-needed diversity. Over a third of its executive leadership are Indigenous women, and it is prospering for it. As well as exploring the stories of two of its executive leaders, this podcast episode is going to first give a voice to some future female leaders, young women involved in the educational branches of the Cape York Partnership, being Jarrigan College and the Cape York Girl Academy. We begin this journey with a studious alumna of both Jarrigan College and the Cape York Leaders Program. Being an older child in a large family, ...carries with it a hefty and uninvited responsibility. Whilst desperately searching for your own guidance and mentorship in adolescence... ...you also feel the stinging observations of your younger siblings... ...who wait patiently for you to navigate the path to adulthood... ...across a landscape littered with tough, youthful lessons. As an elder sibling and youth leader... ...Renitha Chris does not view her situation as such. Instead, she seems to thrive on the opportunity to set positive examples... If you met Renitha, you would observe her to be modest, patient, and polite, and this highlights her leadership qualities. Thanks very much uh, for coming on, Renitha, and, uh, and for taking the time out, because you're a busybody who works in the cafeteria. And so, why don't you give us a bit of a background as to how you became involved with Jarrigan College, because uh, you were a student
1: here, right? Yeah. So, I started in grade 10. Mm-hmm. I moved to from Bay. actually moved from the islands so i stay up in the torres straits Mole island it's nice um beautiful um i get a chance every holidays to go up visit my family yeah, and just go out fishing and all that
0: what are the what are the sorts of fish and other other creatures that you catch what's the traditional food up there
1: fish turtle jugon that's about it. How
0: do you how do you cook a dugong? Because you said you ate dugong for dinner last night, right? Yeah. How do you, how do you actually cook a dugong? What's the best way to to eat it? We had
1: stew, but I love when you fry it on the barbecue. It's nice.
0: And when I when I asked you uh, if it was a white or a red meat, you said it was neither. <laughs> it was a different kind of meat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So like when you cook it, it comes brown like a normal meat. And but the top part there's a lot of fat. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because dugongs are pretty fat, right? Yeah. They're big. They're <laughs> big balloons in the uh, in the ocean.
1: Yeah, and it's like really greasy, and you can use the oil like to put on your hair or rub it on your skin.
0: And uh, how many uh, how many family members do you have? How big's your family?
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's really big.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, lots of brothers and sisters. Yeah. And and they're still living up on the island. Yeah. So what is schooling like on the Torres Strait Islands?
1: They're like normal primary school. So yeah. every island has a primary school, and then when they get to the age to go to high school, you go to Thursday Island to Tagay, or they the family fly their kids down to boarding schools. Yeah.
0: It's to boarding schools like Jarrigan College. Yeah. Okay, cool. And so did you? You went to primary school. Uh, on your island, yeah, after completing her first few high schooling years in Cairns, Renetha enrolled in Jarragon College, located in Gordon Vale, south of cairns. she wasn't the first in her family to attend jarragon, though
1: my older sister, she used to come here, but then <laughs> she dropped out and we We moved to Gordonvale two thousand and eleven and I wanted to come here because I wasn't comfortable going to Gordonvale High School.
0: It wasn't long until her skills on the AFL track were noticed by her coach, and she was selected for the Gold Coast Suns Academy. I asked her what she liked about Aussie Rules football.
1: The contact <laughs> and like working as a team, you know, um, building like friendship and like being a family. Like they're basically my second family.
0: Ranitha talks a lot about family, but not just her immediate family, also her wider family in Jarragon College. This formed part of her motivation for taking on college leadership roles. Were you school captain yeah. here in high school? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you how did you earn that position or why did you want to uh, have that position?
1: Um I wanted to become a leader like to like see the younger ones, like make them come better. And, like, do the right thing. And, like, I wanted to show my siblings. So when they, like, my little sister, she's a school captain this year.
2: Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: wow, there's some leadership skills that run in the family, <laughs> I think. Yeah.
1: Because I, I was the first in my family to graduate. And my older sister, which I looked up to, when she came to school, she dropped out. And I didn't want to do that. And like I wanted to be the better person and then show my younger siblings like the right thing and others. Yeah. You know how they, um like communities, they grow up seeing everyday thing, like drinking and all that, bad violence. And when they come here, like they can come here, be safe and like communicate with each other and like be one. In Jarrigan, like a big family, and like get along, do the right thing so they can achieve their goals.
0: So, when you were when you were living in community uh, in the Torres Strait um, and in Cairns, did you witness these sorts of things as well? Yeah. 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 Um, if you're okay with it, would you mind telling me sort of how that made you feel growing up around around those sorts of behaviours?
1: Yeah, like I can't explain it. Like, it was just different. But I learned to build build myself up without, like, help. And, like, when I came here, like, I don't know, it just made me have confidence and made me stood up for myself.
0: And do you think it's about showing the kids that they don't have to grow up into a, yeah. a place that's, that has violence? Yeah, yeah.
1: Like they can do better. They can be a better person, yeah, and build up their confidence.
0: And uh, your younger siblings, do you think they are following in your footsteps? I mean, well, your younger sister's <laughs> school captain, so she must be really yeah. recognising your example. So she's
1: grade six, and my brother, he was a school captain when he was grade six.
0: Oh, wow, this is really, uh, this, is, this is getting out of control. <laughs> Through Jarrigan College's VET course offerings, Renitha retained her Certificates 1 and 2 in hospitality and accepted a job as an apprentice chef in the college cafeteria. Yet she still thought first of those she was acting as a mentor for.
1: I'm happy that I got this job so so they can look up and then follow.
0: Another quality of an aspiring leader is to seek out mentorship from people who inspire you. Although many of Renitha's leadership qualities are clearly innate... She acknowledges some have been enhanced by one of her favourite role models. Colleen Manny is both a First Nations woman and teaching assistant at Jarrigan College and she quickly took Renetha under her wing. Being a keen preserver and promoter of her own culture, Reneetha gravitated towards Arnie Colleen and her fostering of the diversity of indigenous cultures present at Jarrigan College.
1: She really helped us a lot, um, pushed us and every like everyone. Could listen to her, what she say, we all do it, like we respect her and all that. Yeah.
0: does she give some good advice for? Yeah. Her? What's some of the <laughs> advice that she gives you?
1: Like she'll treat us like we're her kids. Like she has lots of love for us, and so everyone gives it back to her. Like she's probably the best teacher.
0: <laughs> do you see her as a uh, as a great role model for Indigenous kids as well? Do you yeah, think yeah. she's also a pretty good leader yeah. uh, for her community?
1: Yeah, she interacts with like a lot of kids from different communities. And like she brings them all together and then she can like talk to them, express like, yeah, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, the um, there's lots of different communities here, uh, or, or lots of kids from, from yeah. different communities here at Jarrigan College. Did you find it also easy to interact with people from other communities?
1: Yeah, the first day a bit a bit not good. <laughs> but once you get into like getting to know everybody, then you just say hi to everyone and they all come like you all come closer as one every day, yeah.
0: Would you be able to tell us how you're how you're carrying on the culture of the Torres Strait Islands, how how it's still connected to ancestral times?
1: Like keeping our culture strong, our traditional food, dancing, language, like just keeping them strong, yeah. Even here, like, I wish they like did more, like they have NAIDOC, like NAIDOC's the best. <laughs> I love NAIDOC here.
0: What, why, is, why is NAIDOC the best? What, what happens?
1: Um, you just see everyone come together, different families. And, like, everybody just interacts. Yeah, it's like being a family, yeah.
0: So you feel like here at Jarrigan it's one big, one big family mm. and all the communities have, have come together to be one big family.
1: hmm yeah.
0: Renetha is an inspiring example to her community of what can be achieved when one refuses to accept the status quo and takes it upon themselves to break an ingrained cycle. And she is not the only one. The Cape York Girl Academy, perched slightly back from the picturesque Wangeti Beach, is a unique shelter for holistic education. As a secondary boarding school with a student body of 15, the Girl Academy and its staff serve a multiplicity of purposes in the lives of the students, fundamentally to bring education and belonging to young, capable indigenous women whom struggle to find it elsewhere. I had the privilege of speaking with six of the students. Benea, Estelita, Talina, Lasania, Alexis, and Michaela. They were able to contribute to the conversation where they felt comfortable, and all demonstrated a lot of courage in doing so. Lasania was present, but her teacher, Lucida, spoke for her. I began by asking them about their home communities. Benea spoke first.
3: Um, so my community is Muslim. And we speak Gugu Yellenji. And um, it's kind of like it's alright up there. It's nice, you know, it's a nice town, nice place to be, lovely swimming holes. <laughs> but um, there's always drama happening.
0: Okay. Uh, Estelita, could you tell tell me a little bit about where you're from, please?
2: I'm from Northern Territory, a local community called Mineri.
0: Whereabouts in the territory is that?
2: Um, near Catherine.
0: Okay, yeah, lovely. And um, what language do you, do you speak there?
2: Creole, mostly Creole, I'm a bit Aloha.
4: So Lesania was telling me she comes from Minyiri and when I asked her about what is it like there, she said, it's nice. We always go fishing and camping and there's lots of rivers And Lasagna speaks Creole. And then she learned to speak English at Minyari School.
0: The hardships that have previously affected the Girl Academy students are varied and troubling. Some fell pregnant at very young ages and felt a duty to remove themselves from education in order to care for their infants. Other students have struggled with the traditional learning models and curriculum of previous schools, but found themselves feeling blamed for their inability to participate. Some have also experienced bullying and ostracism within schools and community. This has found them in physical conflict with other students, subsequently seeing them formally expelled as well as pushed out of peer circle.
4: So Lisania said she came to the Cape York Girl Academy because she, she needed to learn and she wanted to be educated and also because her sisters come here. So that's how she heard about it, and that's why she chose to let, not go to school in Manuri.
0: Um, what about yourself, Matt?
5: I wanted to get an education because I wasn't getting one in Mount Isa. And yeah, I want to succeed, so that means graduate.
0: What, what year of school are you in now? 11. Okay, so one more year after this. Yeah. And would you mind telling me a little bit about why it was hard to get an education in Mount Isa?
5: Well, mainly because I was always in trouble, and, that, and um, I wasn't a very good listener, so,
6: yeah.
0: And Alexis, would you mind answering that, that question as well?
6: Um, I came here because I wasn't going to school that much. I was just staying home, and um, yeah, I was just not wanting to go to school. and got bullied a lot, so yeah, I ended up here, so.
0: And has this school made it a lot more safer and and comfortable for coming to school?
6: Um, yeah, because, like, I always thought it was weird, like, living in school and stuff like that, just living there and boarding and stuff. But now I'm I'm used to it, and I actually like coming to school every day just to get an
3: education and stuff. Yeah.
0: Would you mind sharing your story, Baneo?
3: Um... I came to Girl Academy after I was kicked out of Mossman High.
0: Would you mind uh, telling us a little bit more about that and why you were kicked out?
3: I had a fight with a girl over dumb stuff (laughs) and I regret it, but if I hadn't done it I wouldn't be here. I came once a week and I ended up really liking it.
0: Okay, and now you come every day, I take it. And so Estelita and and Talina, I might ask you at the the same time, why did you come here?
2: I've been in another college in Melbourne. It's a a girl college called Warawa. But I got bullied. Then I started fighting. Then I came. I went back home. Then my grandfather told me about this school. And then I came here at Girl Academy.
0: Is it okay if you tell us a bit uh, more about the bullying that happened in Melbourne? What were you being bullied about? Um, AFL. In AFL? Really? Girls. Like you bullied on the field?
2: No, nah, not in the field. At school. Girls didn't... I don't know.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. That's okay. Um, and, uh, and Talena, what about yourself? How did you find out about uh, Girl Academy?
2: I went to bachelor my first school and it got closed down I went back home and I heard as the leader talking about it and I wanted to come over here.
0: Through a holistic approach to learning the Girl Academy has made its students feel seen and heard. This has enabled the staff to capture their interest and subsequently engage them with elements of education that they feel most aligned. While some students say they enjoy creative and artistic classes and others mathematics and English, a shared value was the ability to simply connect with their new peers, a long-awaited desire to belong.
3: One of my favourite things is getting to know girls from everywhere and being close to them and hanging out. You, know. you never know, they might be a sister for life. <laughs>
0: And uh, what, do you, what have you enjoyed learning what, and uh, wh- what activities do you like to do whilst you're at school here?
3: I love to swim in the pool. It's always nice to jump in after a long hot day. But um, I also like doing sports and art with the girls. It's good to show their creativity. And we have very creative girls. We mainly just, whenever we're chilling out, together we just spin yarns and tell each other about what it's like at home, what we do and all the places we like going, And you
0: know. And leader, what do you enjoy about being at uh, Girl Academy and, and what do you like to learn?
3: Art,
2: football playing for you and stuff, talking with girls, especially Banaya, she's nice. <laughs>
0: Does she talk a lot?
2: Yeah.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh, what about Lasagna?
4: Lasania, do you want to say what you like? What do you want me to say? Okay. Lasania loves sport. She loves football and the basketball here, and boarding and the beach, and swimming in the pool.
0: I also asked the girls if they still experienced any difficulties in their learning. It was a question that took them a little by surprise, but Michaela was able to offer her perspective.
5: Just the concentrating part and, like, actually being in class for once and actually getting an education besides always being outside of the classroom. And it's different because the teachers actually take time to, like, if we don't understand something, they take time to make sure we understand it better.
0: The students have wholesome aspirations for their future, with the common thread being service to community. They speak confidently of their visions to attain university qualifications in social work or teaching, or to even enlist in military and police forces. Benea, would you mind telling me about uh, some dreams you have uh, for your future after school? What would, you, what would you like to do when you leave school?
3: I would like to go into university and study to be a social worker so I can help younger kids you know, at an early age. What
0: would you like to help them with?
3: I'd like to help kids with their outlook on life and help them probably cope with issues that they're going through at home and all that. A lot of younger kids are going down the wrong path really early. And they're seeing older kids and adults doing it and they think, oh, that's cool, I want to do that too. But... You know, it's not always the best thing to do. Sometimes they choose mm, wagging from school than going to school and actually learning something. Or they choose to fight over something rather than talk it out.
0: And uh, Mac?
5: A police officer.
0: Is there a particular reason why you'd like to become a police officer?
5: Uh, Yeah, just my background and, like, how I grew up and yeah I just want to do better than that so and help people
0: okay and help kids as well
2: yeah definitely
0: um and Talina would you mind telling us what what you'd like to do after school
2: my dream is to become a teacher
0: okay and a teacher like the teachers here yeah do you um do you think you'd like to become a teacher because of uh your teachers here have been role models maybe for you yeah, they've been good examples. Yep. Some but perhaps the facet of their futures that they feel most strongly about is ensuring proper recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture. And my last question for all of you is: What can people understand more about Aboriginal culture? Uh, what can non-Indigenous people understand more, particularly about education for Indigenous people? Uh, Benia, did you have some an answer for that one?
3: Yeah, um, I want people to stop ter- stereotyping everyone and stop seeing us as criminals. When there are a lot of us that are successful.
0: As the leader, what would you like uh, people to understand more about Aboriginal culture and Aboriginal people?
2: Knowing Aboriginal culture is a matter to Aboriginal people. Mm. It means, in, like, important to us and.
0: Yeah, and it needs to be protected. Yeah, protected
2: and passed on to younger ones.
4: When I asked Lasanya what she would like other people to understand about Indigenous culture or her culture, she said, others should help kids when they fall down. (laughs) And then she said, um, the culture, her culture is that we go to the land, we, we're out on country, we're always fishing and camping, very connected to the land.
0: Alexis, would have you got some something for that question as well?
4: Well,
6: they could try and learn from us instead of being ignorant and just passing it off like we're just some type of stereotype, like we just still and all that kind of stuff. And... Like, we're not like that. Well, like, some of us are like that. But I like to think that we're not like that. Just learn from us and not be trying to <laughs> say some of my words. Um, saying, like, like, on Australia Day, it's, to me, I don't celebrate it at all because it's disrespectful to my culture and, like, what like the people took away from us and how we just just for, sort of forgotten like the stolen generation and all of that and um yeah it's it's just it's just disrespectful to me when i see that kind of stuff and celebrating celebrating it but to me it's it's disrespectful and just just yeah <laughs> sorry i'm gonna give my hands on it
0: That's okay. Thank you very much for sharing that answer, Alexis. Uh, Mac, did you have an answer to this question too?
5: Uh, Yeah. um, I don't know. I'd probably say, like, not all of us are going to be the same skin colour, and not all of us are going to speak the same. And, like, yeah, like, we're not all of us Aboriginal people. Like, we're not all the same. We're all different. We grew up in different areas. We know different languages. And I don't know. It's like, it's sad because Stolen Generation like not all of us know anything about our culture and it's sad because like I don't know we feel distant in a way because like some of us know a lot more and like know our language and others don't and it's like sad because we don't know much about our past and like where our families came from so yeah it's just sad.
0: So understanding more that Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people are very diverse and also um, that they're also still trying to very much understand their culture too sometimes. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much ladies for for taking the time to speak with me today and and for sharing your answers and your stories. Thank you. The Girl Academy is giving young Indigenous women and mothers a space to find their own interpretation of success. By placing their voices front and centre, it is their sanctuary to find belonging and safety in their education. Perhaps this is crystallised by the account of one particular student, Callista. She didn't feel comfortable being interviewed, but sought to send her message through the voice of the school's wellbeing officer, Karen.
7: So she said, out of every other boarding school
8: I had interview with, and they didn't accept me because of my history. But this school, they'd accept and told me while we were facing timing that kids deserve second chance and needs education. So Calista also said she got expelled from school because bigger girls in a group wanted to fight me. So I carried a knife to protect myself and that's why I got expelled.
0: So those were stories from just a few of Cape York's inspiring, resilient, and capable young women, all of whom now have a promising future ahead of them, thanks in large to their own determination. We are now going to switch to a couple of stories from women in Cape York Partnership's executive leadership. I spoke with two incredible women, Baressa Fraser, the new principal of the Cape York Girl Academy, and Fiona Jose, the chief executive officer of Cape York Partnership. What both of these women have in common is that neither of them completed their secondary schooling. Yet here they are now, leading their respective organisations and proving to young Indigenous girls that it is very much possible to carve your own path despite the odds or others' meagre expectations of you. We begin with Baressa. As an Indigenous woman and educator, Baressa does not demand anything unreasonable of non-Indigenous Australians, but simple acknowledgement and ears to listen. A Wick woman from Arracoon, she has made an incredible journey from leaving school in year nine to a doctoral student and a fitting appointment in her new school principal position. Fitting because her personal journey very much mirrors that of her students. Okay, we are here with Baressa, the principal of Girl Academy. She's very kindly given us uh, her time uh, to speak about her journey as an Indigenous educator as well as an Indigenous woman. Baressa, thank you very much for joining us.
8: Thank you. Thank you, Isaac. Um, it's a pleasure joining you today and um, thanks for letting me share my story. I think, um, firstly, I, I, I would like to say uh, that I am a WIC woman from Arakoon in Cape York. I belong to... Uh, the Putsch clan, one of five clan groups of Aracoon. and um, I acknowledge my fellow countrymen um, there who have led me to be in my place today and also acknowledge the country that we're on um, here in Irukandji country um, in beautiful Far North Queensland.
0: I was wondering if you could um, please describe your uh, early life as an Indigenous woman uh, growing up in Wick Country, as well as your schooling experience.
8: Yeah, I suppose uh, just to take a step back, um, Aracoon, Wick Country, is um, my uh, community that I belong to. Um, but first of all, I suppose just taking that step back, I, I grew up in Coranda, um, so in far north Queensland here and I had the privilege of uh, attending primary school there and at the time the options were to um, travel away from uh, Corinda to uh, secondary high school options um, in Cairns so my own personal history and um, experience of education wasn't exactly uh, the best opportunity uh, and I don't think I would wish my experiences on anybody else. Um, but I suppose what my experience has taught me is those opportunities that come to us uh, are given to us for a reason. Um, so I I felt that uh, people had very low expectations of my achievement and my ability to achieve. Uh, I felt really that as an Aboriginal a student that uh, my voice I was quite voiceless in my education um, and as a result of that my path journeyed outside of school. So I left school in grade nine and I realize now that that was a good thing for me to do um, because schools aren't somewhere sometimes places for everybody um, but it is important to acknowledge Um, that there are other pathways, other opportunities that we take advantage of because because of our experiences. So I suppose, um, as I said, after leaving Year 9, I thought it was really important to not give up. Um, I suppose it could be um, my headstrong experience or my headstrong way of saying, well, bugger you everyone I can do it whether whether you believe in me or not so I went off to TAFE um, and I had some really great teachers I trained to be a ranger um, and what I got from that experiences uh, experience was that I could actually do things and there were people there that actually it was their job to help Um, so I think from those experiences Um, I realised that I had potential I could you know my academic ability was actually quite good um, but no one actually took the time to make me realise that Um, so I think from there um, that's when I got the bug to to realise that I could fulfill have a fulfilling life um, through education so after I, I worked as a ranger for a little bit of time, um, those support systems around me, I suppose, were the ones that really draw, drew me to to feel that there was a, um, a void there for young Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people in education and therefore I didn't want my own children to be a part of that systemic issue that we have um, in current schooling systems
0: and so you were able to bridge the gap in your schooling uh, shortfall if, if you don't mind me calling it as such a, a through the tafe system and and now you are even studying a, a phd and so are you able to comment a little further on how you were able to i suppose not resign yourself to the fact that by leaving school in year nine that was the end of the educational journey for you and and how you've you've been patient in your path to to get to the place where you are now
8: yeah and I suppose it, it did take um as a young as a young single mother um I realized that having uh, a child to care for for and that maternal instinct instinct really kicked in so um that really pushed me to continue on to um to support my my own child and made sure that he could have the best opportunity, so that's when I, I took a step back and saw all of the great people around me. Um, I as a as as a Wic woman from Arakoon, I grew up with many strong elders and leaders, so I had really great strong female role models uh, throughout my life, and. So those those role models were um, uh, my mother, uh, who was a bilingual teacher in Arakoon, um, uh, my mother's sister, my big mother, who who also cared for me, and there was other strong people in the community in the council that I really resonated with their strength and their courage. Um, to be driven for the best outcomes for their community. So it was when I, as I said, as I, when I had my son, that I was really to take, uh, you know, I really took that step back and reflected who was, who was there for me. And I knew that um, my son needed the best education. So I couldn't provide that education if I didn't have an income, if I didn't have um some financial stability so i needed to to make some change and i wasn't going to rely on government systems to support me uh, or family to support me so i uh, went back to university i studied to be a teacher um, i was the only aboriginal person uh, that graduated from university uh, in my uh, at the university that I was studying at and uh, to me that was really also another tipping point to say well where are all my brothers and sisters around me to to help uh, transform education it was quite clear to me that there weren't enough uh, fellow um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people there in that space and that was a big void for me um, so that's when I saw the passion from family, from my mother, to take on um, that natural instinct, I suppose, what I was born to do and um, to be a teacher.
0: In her time as an Indigenous educator, Baressa has garnered a keen understanding of what it is really going to take to close the gap in Indigenous educational outcomes. As an Aboriginal person, Baressa wants to marry her perspectives with those of equally passionate, non-Indigenous educators in order to engender common understanding of Indigenous students' needs.
8: We, we do know um, and we, we're seeing and hearing a lot more about this but um, the true history of our nation um, is, is what needs to be told and I think teachers and schools do play a significant part in making sure that we have an alignment as an Australia as a national um, identity that we acknowledge our our First Nation people and our experiences because it is not until we acknowledge those that we can really have that true um, uh, reciprocity across many levels of reform and education being one of them. But I think we all as as an individual remember a teacher and something about our educational experience. And a lot of those experiences stay with us for a long time because obviously we're in school for a long time as well. So it is an opportunity now for, and and we have merged to, to I suppose review what is happening in the education sector, and to really look more broadly, more deeply, at how we acknowledge um, our First Nation people in the narrative of education, and how we support teachers to be the best teachers about Australia's history, because that's a really critical part as well. As as an Aboriginal person, I have my own experiences and my own ideals that I bring to it just like a non-Aboriginal person would. So we need to make sure that there is clarity around what is taught and, and how that is taught and give, give our uh, non-Aboriginal, non-Indigenous teachers the opportunity to grow their knowledge in that place as well.
0: Uh, could you please describe some of the barriers to education that Indigenous girls and women experience?
8: So, I think the the barriers to education for Indigenous girls and women are quite global. As First Nations women across the world, we all experience the same issues that I face here in Australia. First Nations women across the world also. Um, are experiencing so I think some of those key issues and those barriers are cultural safety cultural obligations that women have in their communities are some of those barriers but those obligations and cultural safety should not be a barrier it should be something that education facilities see as a unique gift that they bring to school it should not be seen as a barrier so the things as um, that mainstream society perceive as a barrier I think we need to switch the rhetoric and the, the conversation about that and actually how is that young person's life going to enrich us sh- enrich our school situation our teachers how does that enrich every um aspect of the school going down to that lady that greets you at the office how does that first nations girl and or woman enrich our life through their own uniqueness
0: okay and uh, so we know that uh, indigenous women also face uh, barriers outside of education once they do graduate and try to enter into the workforce and re-engage with community. But I mean, I will even try to now flip the script a little, like you just said, or change change the rhetoric around the use of the term barriers. So I wonder then perhaps, how uh, do we not know uh um the ways in in which indigenous people, particularly indigenous women, can enrich our existence by being a part of our workforce, being a part of our communities mm.
8: uh, i I think perhaps speaking from experience um what we need to do in our in our ways of society is really and the national voice to parliament is is um, I suppose bringing this to us at the moment is how are people asking us how are we being included in this conversation around education around employment around our own health and social outcomes how we we know that most of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities we we are strong in our The roots of our community is where our women sit so they uphold us they hold everything together they are the foundation so how do we incorporate that foundation and that strength um, into study employment those social economic outcomes is starting by asking people starting by building that trust with people because you cannot have um, you cannot say one thing without doing another. So we hear that a lot. We, If we look at what's um, happening currently in Parliament, um, ha- how does that reflect us as a nation? I think that's really important, um, that, that situation that is unfolding at the moment. How do we overcome those so many injustices? Um, and I think the power in that is... We need to actually sit and look and listen at what we have in each individual community because we are not the same mob we're all different mob we all come from our own um, hierarchical sort of um, beliefs and our own systems in our communities and we can't be tarnished with that same brush um, in terms of these things so I think that That experience of mine is saying that I have something really good to offer and I'd I'd like people to take the time to hear my story because it might actually be helpful Um, because you'll find that Aboriginal women do know what they're talking about and do have or do need to have a voice to improve that participation in, in all of those sectors
0: the students of Girl Academy have their own visions for their potential success in education and life beyond. I'm here with Fiona Joes, the Chief Executive Officer of Cape York Partnership. She's been kind enough to give us some of her time to talk about her journey into executive leadership and also a little bit about the partnership itself. Fiona, thank you very much for joining me.
7: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: So, Fiona, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your professional journey into executive leadership, including any challenges you've had to overcome along the way?
7: It's actually a really interesting question. I don't get asked that enough, um, ironically, because my journey would not be normal. It would not be kind of what you would think. Um, there is no point in my time at school that I would think that I would be the CEO of any organisation or the leader of, of an organisation. Um I actually finished school in year 10, and that's because I, um, not because I wasn't good at school, I actually really loved school, and I was good at it. Um, however, the, st- the school system and the structure didn't work for me. So I was predominantly put in a class with my, my family and my cousins, um, and could not be moved for my learning abilities and needs, and my parents were always trying to engage with the school. So because of boredom, um, and I don't like to be bored, I pretty much stayed home for a lot of my year 10, um, and I did not engage in education. I read the textbooks myself, and I did that, and I got a really good junior certificate, Um, but I'd already made up my mind that I wanted to be working, I wanted to do something meaningful, and that was at disappointment to my parents, because I was naturally quite good, you know, at learning, they wanted me and they thought that I would be the first, (laughs) you know, in their family to go to university. And um, that was a disappointment at that stage. So I left school um, not to do nothing. My parents were really strong. And I had um, this mantra that it's okay not to know what you don't know, you know, like what, what you're not going to do. But it's not okay to do nothing. It's not okay to leave school and have nothing to go to. So they gave me six weeks to find a career path or something to them, and they gave me rules around that. So I left school and I went into a trade. So I went to TAFE and I did um, some of that, and I went into my trade. And once I kind of played with that, it was a place I knew I didn't want to be because it was male-dominated. I was a young female Indigenous um, person and... I really struggled. I struggled with mental health and the way I was being treated. Um, So I'm like, okay, I can't not have a job, so what next? So pretty much my career was about getting into something, learning it, starting new. So from there I went and did a traineeship um, at the time with Education Queensland. And I ended up being with that organisation and that government department for 10, 12 years. And so I started as a trainee and I just worked on the job i took every opportunity that was put in front of me not because i knew i could do it or i had the confidence but i had a really good support group i had a really good family saying yeah you can do that when i doubted it so i took every opportunity and i started to act in different roles which meant there was this career path and progression so i started as a trainee and i end up managing schools um that had a thousand population, I was a business manager of schools and then I went into senior finance um, key roles which then really looked after the, the financial statement of 43 schools in a district so in that time I just took every opportunity to learn and then each time I changed or had a career move I went then into middle management because of that experience or to management and then worked my way through um, to be the leader of different organisations and have different experiences before um, I came home, which is what I call being here at um, Cape York Partnership.
0: And you mentioned uh, a a couple of references there to to barriers that that you face. I was wondering if you could speak to some of the common barriers that uh, Indigenous people and particularly Indigenous women face uh, trying to essentially get on with their professional journeys.
7: Yeah, the one I found the most was um, actually the low expectations of me. So a lot of um, people or leaders had really good intent, like, these aren't bad people. These were people that actually wanted me to succeed, but it was at a cap. Oh, you should do this first, or you're not going to be able to do that. I have heard most of my career that I wouldn't get a place or make it to be a leader without having a high school education and without having a university degree. And in one way, I guess my strong will and nature about proving people wrong and kind of breaking through that ceiling is part of that success. So unfortunately, that can be enough to damper a lot of, you know, people's enthusiasm and motivation to keep doing that. Because when people around you tell you that's good enough or that's okay, um, that's the most successful you're going to be, sometimes it's hard to get up from that. But that's why it's so important to have a strong support group and and mentors around you and people that you can talk to. And I was blessed to have that. Because of that, I just went, well, that's great and I'll do that, but I think I can be better than that and to do more. So I found that low expectation that writing me off that, you know, you don't have a university degree, you don't have that, um, not recognising that my worked experience... Could counteract that, that my lived experience could counteract that and that the trials in life and in community in general could make me a really good leader.
0: I'm hearing a lot in your story there you know resilience, industriousness and, and also you know not being willing to to take no uh, for an answer or you know other people's expectations of, um, of you as doctrine and you know we have a lot of capable Indigenous women in Australia but they're facing these barriers to uh, to leadership positions, um, and in it, both in employment you know, and in community. I'm wondering what your perspective is on how we can help Indigenous women find their pathway into these roles.
7: Yeah, that's a great question. One I've been thinking about a lot, you know, being March and International Women's Day um, and a whole lot of focus. One of the things that um, we need to change first is there are so many capable women There's so many capable First Nations, Indigenous women. Um, I think the barrier that we have is organisations, whether it's government or corporate or philanthropic or not-for-profit, they're defining who we are by our gender or by our cultural diversity or about that. And they're really missing the people and the persons and the experience. So I think that, um, first of all, those organisations need to be really clear that because I'm a woman... I can have an opinion and experience on a whole range of um, things and as a First Nations people person, I have absolutely thoughts and opinions about lots of public policy, not just Indigenous policy um, issues. What we bring, what I feel that we bring as a collective of Indigenous women to it is we are resilient. We know how we have been forgiving for generations and generations And forgiving to move forward and for a better. So we know and can help organisations be better, be better people and be better organisations. Without, um, you know, we know how to fight. We know how to stand for things, and we know how to endure and not give up on what is the most important.
0: Yeah, certainly. You know, it's uh, when when you think about time throughout modern Australian history, women have certainly had to be. Not only resilient, but you know patient, and then so of Indigenous people, and so when you combine those those two factors, uh, you know Indigenous women have perhaps had to do you know double the amount of work there just to just to wait for their time when they had access to these opportunities. And I've, do you feel now that the the conditions are right for Indigenous women to get access to these these roles and uh, these opportunities that you now uh, experience yourself?
7: Yeah, absolutely, Um, and that's why we need to have a focus on it and more and more women and Indigenous women because our girls and our kids need role models. They need to see that, for me, you know, oh, mum's on the Council of the National Museum of Australia. Oh, mum's the CEO of Cape York Partnership. Oh, mum's also represented our cultural corporation and, and, you know, been able to do that that they can see that mum can do whatever she wants to do or auntie or granny or sister. And I think that um, that's why this is so important, not actually for me and not actually for my generation, but for the generations that's depending on us and relying on us is we need to be investing in our young people um, because now is the time. There is a lot of capable women um, who want to step up and that are there to take on the roles. We need to you know, keep having these conversations because we need to really be lobbying with those entities and organisations to understand why this is so important for them and um, why this is so important for us and it will make us better as a country.
0: And I've heard you talk about the fact that Indigenous women have struggled to find role models in, in, in the past and you know, now, now they have some excellent examples of role models um, out there in Australian society. And you were also mentioning about how Indigenous women don't just offer perspectives on indigenous affairs or you know issues affecting women but they can offer perspectives on multitudinous um, issues and and offer that strength in, in diversity to to leadership roles and to boards um, so it leads quite nicely into my next question you know what unique and uh, unique perspectives and skills in organizational and community leadership are offered by indigenous women
7: yeah um. We normally know the issues at a very personal level. So we are able to, um, and we know what the challenges are, right? So when organisations or entities are trying, whether it's deliver a service, create a solution, have a policy reform, um, as Indigenous people on the ground, what we know is we we know the problem firsthand. Therefore, that is just the critical element to be able to be part of a solution for that, right? It, it's the biggest part local decisions, local solutions. And it is hard for any organisation or government or group to do that when, first of all, you've never experienced those problems firsthand. And that's what that's what we do. That's what we bring. Um, and we bring it from a perspective then to really challenge kind of designing solutions that meet on the ground. Now, that component, there are women, every community I go into, and especially throughout Cape York and the Torres Strait, that are just kicking it in this area, right? They are doing that on the ground. What I think's missing and and what is it is no one knows about them. You know, I sit here and I talk to you and I think about all those women that we engage at Cape York Partnership to help us with solutions and co-design and the innovation that they come up with and what they do. Um, And we, you know, represent that and we always give them credit for that. But how do we? That's the question. How do we actually see the, the country to see them and that benefit?
0: And now my final question on the theme of International Women's Day uh, refers to its, its very theme itself, and this year it is choosing to challenge. And I was wondering if you would be comfortable making a comment on what do you think the crux of what we're choosing to challenge is when it's coming to the, the topic of Indigenous women?
7: I actually choose to challenge um, the Australian government and what I say about that is there is not enough cultural or gender diversity in our leadership as a country and um, I know we can do better and we need to do better and it would then go, my second challenge, if I can be so cheeky, would be then to um, big corporates, government, philanthropic organisations. My challenge to you is Indigenous people, and women need to be in key roles that you have that are designated for Indigenous affairs.
0: If you would like to explore the stories of our podcast guests further, be sure to check out the Our Sisters Razorly page at our-sisters.razorley.com. That's our-sisters.razorley.com. Our Sisters is working closely with Cape York Partnership to break the cycles of intergenerational hardships experienced by Indigenous women, including barriers to education, employment, healthy relationships and positive well-being. With your support, Our Sisters is aiming to raise $50,000 toward the design and delivery of a comprehensive health and well-being program for the students of the Cape York Girl Academy. Fundraising details can be found on the Raisely page. You can also support the Our Sisters campaign by following it on Facebook and Instagram. On Instagram, it is Our Sisters Change Her World. You can also support by liking and sharing the posts or even uploading your own Choose to Challenge statement, tagging
5: Our Sisters in your post. Thank you for taking the time to listen.